0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar, and it's episode number 54, and it's the first episode of 2021, a year beginning after the year that everybody wants to get out of. Although, who knows? Maybe this this is a continuation of 2020. Maybe January 1st is no different than December 31st, except for it's a day later. Who knows? All will tell in time. But Like so many people, I believe in new beginnings, I believe in goal setting, and, you know, a chance to recharge and start over with new enthusiasm, and hopefully the world agrees with that. Hopefully things calm down, we can get back to some sense of normalcy, and wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever your goals are or aren't, I wish you a very pleasant 2021. We I, I talked about goals a little bit last episode, what, what things I wrote down on the best of 2020 episode, what things I wrote down in 2020, what things I achieved, which things I didn't. And I, I just wrote down my goals for this coming year. I do this every year in a spreadsheet um, a few days ago. And there's plenty of things on there. One that, is, one that can be measured very accurately is I want to release a high-quality audio and video song 50 times in 2021. So I'm going to do it every week, give myself two weeks for a break, whether that be Thanksgiving and Christmas or, um, you know, a week in the summer, whatever it is, and I've already started it. I've been going into 3rd and James every couple months and just recording a bunch of solo songs, been setting up cameras, borrowing cameras from friends and pressing record, doing a few takes, uh, the engineer, Grant Gibson, there at 3rd and James, mixes it and masters it and sends it to me, and I sync the video audio. And I'm going to start releasing those, starting with a cover of Paul Simon's Graceland that I do on a lap steel guitar. So I'm looking forward to doing something measurable like that, just to build YouTube, build the online presence a little bit. Um, amongst other things, I'm I'm trying to—and I think probably a lot of people feel this way— I'm trying to balance the grind— the branding, the grind, the doing everything that you should be doing for your career to build your business, blah, 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 but also making sure to enjoy life and let things happen, and I'm kind of trying to strike a balance there, um, you know, where it's okay to wake up at 945 every once in a while, but also, um, you know, getting up ready to conquer the world every morning and doing, doing those necessary things, writing more, whatever I need to do for, for my career. So, you know, it's a new beginning. It's always kind of a positive time at the beginning of the year for that reason, especially after a year such as this. Uh, Exciting news for Middle Class Rockstar podcast. We've teamed up with Chris K's Colorado Playlist and any of our Colorado related artists get played on Chris K's Colorado playlist, uh, a six to eight minute—excuse me, about an eight-minute section of this episode will be played on Chris K's Colorado playlist, which then gets broadcast to, I believe, 27 now FM frequencies across um, across Colorado. And there's a brand new frequency in Alamosa that just picked up Chris K's show. And congrats to Chris K; he's been doing uh, the Colorado playlist for a long, long time. And, uh, he, you know, he's got one of the most successful shows in the state in terms of um, who all plays it. And that, by the way, at that news station is Alamo Alamosa Taos 88.7 FM. You can also listen um, in Aspen 88.3 FM or Basalt Redstone 88.5 FM or perhaps Carbondale and Glenwood 88.1. Cool stuff. So big thanks to Chris Kay, who's been on the podcast a couple times and is really helping out middle-class rock star by playing some of these episodes, portions of some of these episodes on his show. And so it's getting out onto the FM wavelengths. Really cool stuff. Thanks, Chris. Today's guest is Kerry Morin. He's one of the very few repeats we've had. Um, he was first on, gosh, I think was the beginning of... But sometime in mid-2000, I don't know, I don't know, 2018, 2019, he was on the show, and that's episode 19, and I drove to his house in Fort Collins, and not only did I interview him, but I interviewed his wife, Celeste Oreo, and she's episode 18 of the podcast, and she is a brilliant music business person and singer as well, um, and on, on that episode, we talked about grants, and booking, and management, and she does all that kind kind of stuff, not just for Carrie, but for some other very successful artists as well. And she's really um, a big part of the success that Carrie's been having the last few records, and her episode is one of my absolute favorites. So go back and listen to episode 18, and then that'll take you right into episode 19, which is Carrie's first appearance on the podcast. Um, And they were both very welcoming, welcomed me into their home and chatted with me for a while, answered my questions. It was awesome. So if you're looking for more background on Carrie, before we get into this, episode 19 really, you know, is we just talk about Carrie and you get the full background. On this episode, we do that a little bit, um, but I didn't want to repeat too, too much. So we sort of jumped right into some other things, namely his newest record, Dockside Saints, which came out on August 7th and has been doing uh, very, very well. He's been getting all kinds of press. Glide Magazine, Tower Records, Cowboys and Indians Magazine, which can be found at Barnes & Noble. That's a huge press outlet. It's everywhere. Um, yeah, and it's and it was the number one record in Colorado, I believe. I'm trying to remember the name of that chart. Was it the Roots Music Report, maybe? it's number one record in Colorado for a couple months as well. Um, So, it's a great record, and if you've heard Kerry's music before, um, you know he's a a virtuoso finger-style guitarist, um, blues-style guitarist, folk-style, great singer and songwriter. Um, And this album is really neat because it's not his guitar playing in the forefront, which... It would normally be, and it's absolutely exceptional. But this one, he does something a little different. It was recorded at Dockside Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana. It was produced by Tony Daigle, who's won multiple Grammys as an engineer and producer. And the band is incredible. It's cool where where they took these songs. And it sort of combines that Piedmont blues style with Cajun and Creole and Zydeco. And it's really, really neat. I love all of Carry's stuff. Um, but this album, I think, is my favorite. And the last time I I interviewed Kerry, whenever that was, for episode 19, he was just starting the process of writing the charts for these tunes, and I got to help out and write a few charts for these songs, which was an honor to get to help out on the project in a little way. It was really neat for me. We also chat about 2020 and being a touring musician, as you would on this podcast in 2020. Um, and carries somebody. Uh, he and Celeste, they get in the car, they take their dog, and, and they're self-sustaining on the road. They've got a little camper, and they sometimes spend eight or nine months out of the year on the road doing festivals, doing club dates, recording, doing opening acts, whatever, doing headlining dates. Um, they're, they're really seriously touring, and they're doing it together. And, um, and that's the life. So 2020 was especially tricky for them without another outlet necessarily, um, to do things. And so they've, they've taken the live streaming very seriously. He does it on his YouTube channel and they actually go down the street to a, to a space to do it and make it look really professional, high quality sound. So if you go on over to Carrie Morin's YouTube channel, they're still doing live streaming stuff, and I think will be for the foreseeable future. But anyway, did I talk enough? Carrie's awesome. Celeste is awesome. We have a great episode. Um, I guess here it is. If you want to support the podcast, giving us a rate and review wherever you listen is a huge, huge help. It only takes a second. It's completely free, and it helps me out a lot. If you're in a position to help out in a monetary way, I'm now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sido S-Y-D-O-W. For as little as the price of one cup of coffee per month, you can help make sure that this podcast keeps growing. I want to say a quick thanks to our sponsors, PQ Mastering, for one, Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, you can go to www.pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. Go to www.narratorrf.com for simple and affordable licensing for sync. Carrie, welcome back. Hi.
1: Hi, everybody. <laughs> It's great, great to be back on your show. Uh, Your your show is really gaining a lot of notoriety. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's that's really awesome. How how did you? I'm going to interview you. how How did you come up with this idea, and did you have any idea that it was going to be a long lasting
0: thing? My goal, my initial goal, was to get through ten episodes, um, and I just wanted a way to chat with people that like. I don't normally talk with you and I are friends, but we don't go out and grab lunch on Wednesday afternoons um, mm-hmm. because you know, we live an hour and a half apart, but it's really right. nice to get to catch up. And uh, I had no idea. I was going to end up meeting so many cool people and uh, making, I think lifelong friends with some people just from talking to them for an hour. <laughs> well, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's good. And, and now all these episodes are getting played on, uh Chris K's Colorado playlist. Uh, I saw that. And uh so it'll be it'll be going out across Colorado to the airwaves. Uh good news. But but you uh have plenty of notoriety on the airwaves in Colorado because your new record, Dockside Saints, was number one two months in a row.
1: in Colorado?
0: Yeah, on the on the was it the Roots Music Report or whatever, one of those charts you you came up number one the that... last two months.
1: That's great. We, uh, we kept an eye on the, um, the roots report, um, for quite a while actually. And, um, it was fun to see it go up, uh, and appear. And it was nice to know that people were listening to it. It got, um, it got really close to being on the Americana charts. And I was like, I've never been on the Americana charts. Yeah. So, so we were like really watching that and it got to like one more spot and we would, would have been on it for like a minute, you know? Yeah. Just didn't have the steam, but anyway, I'm, I'm really
0: glad that people are listening to it and it's uh it's been a fun ride. Well, in the Americana charts, that's huge to even get that close to it because it is very competitive and uh, you know, your records on there with, you know, what the Avett brothers and Mumford and & Sons and Nathaniel Rateliff put out. So that's a, yeah. that's a pretty huge accomplishment. And, and as far as the promotion was concerned on this record, where did you guys really put your efforts? Were you focusing on terrestrial radio or Spotify? <clears throat> or what was the thought process there? Um, we were... Uh,
1: we, we had, a, a I think, a four-month association with um uh, and he really helped us uh, Carrie baker uh, uh, just a really fine publicist helped us get it into a lot of places um celeste does a lot of the uh, the radio stuff herself um and um uh, yeah, as far as print, I think that um, Carrie really had a lot to do with that, and um, we we had uh, two other publicists, but they were both uh, really more geared towards um, uh, social uh, stuff, the um, f- uh, Facebook, and they really beefed up uh, my MySpace page
0: yeah yeah <laughs> good
1: good and um anyway i th- I think that uh carrie baker really had a lot to do with all that uh, uh, print media yeah and um well actually you know he was he was getting um like some songs uh to be premiered on websites too so i guess he had some things to do with the internet um and I think that his his name does carry a lot of weight in radio as well, so I'm I'm sure that uh, it was helpful in that regard. Yeah, um, it's the first time that we've ever worked with Conqueror, and uh, he's just a really great guy. I'm I'm so glad that we got a chance to uh, to work with him, and now we're friends. And um, it's uh, one good thing about this business that. Uh, putting out a new album, we we meet a lot of people. Uh, like if we're out at conferences or stuff, or uh, you know, just through the process of making an album, uh, we meet a lot of people and learn about a lot of stuff that we didn't know uh, that we can take advantage of for the next album.
0: Yeah. So it's a process. That's great. And I want to get into all sorts of things about the album and, and recording it. Uh, in Louisiana and those things, but for the people uh, who didn't hear the first interview, first off, if you didn't hear the first interview, go back and listen to episode 19, um, the first Carrie Morin episode where we have all kinds of um, great things and stories from growing up in Montana and things like that, and also um, episode 18 with his wife Celeste DiOrio, um, who's also the manager and booking agent and does a ton of does a ton of stuff and sings and sings with you too sometimes so
2: mm-hmm.
0: two things to check out, but just as a quick recap, um, how did you first get into songwriting and guitar? You have a really unique guitar style, the finger picking and open d, and the way you play is truly unique the way you play and sing and write. How did you first uh, get into it well the the D thing.
1: Um, started out, um, from the, the suggestion of a, a friend of mine. I used to play solo sh- or duo shows with, uh, my friend Herbie Sparks, who, uh, back in the, in the day, used to own Wildwood Music in Longmont when it first opened. Hmm. Um, he owned that with Steve Messplay. And, um, uh, Steve eventually went off and started his Wildwood. And um, then, uh, you know, Herbie kept his store going in Longmont for years and years. And um, we, after um, we stopped uh, playing shows together, uh, we remained friends. And we eventually just started fishing a lot. Um we, we would fish a couple of times a week. Uh, yeah. we would either go up, um, and, uh, walk the rivers around here, or, uh, we would fish on lakes and he would typically pick me up at my house at, you know, like five or six o'clock in the morning and off we would go. One time he showed up with, uh, with like an old seagull guitar or something it was like not really a flashy guitar but um it was tuned to d and he said why don't you take this in and hang it on the wall and um uh, don't retune it uh leave it in d and um just pick it up when you can and and you know see if you can figure something out with it and I swear that guitar sat there uh, on the wall for probably a year. I didn't really, I picked it up a couple of times and none of it made sense. And then uh, one afternoon I picked it up and I had like a couple of minor breakthroughs, like, oh, you know, this makes sense. And um, I didn't get lessons or anything and nobody, I I didn't look anything up on the internet. It probably would have sped up the process Considerably, had I thought to do that. But anyway, after that, it got to the point where I couldn't put it down. I was I was just fascinated with um, some of the uh, uh, the the chord structure and the tones. Just were so different than playing in standard tuning, um, and I, I just I just played and played and played. And uh, eventually I I started bringing it to shows and I would play a couple of songs in open D and then, um, then that got more and more and I stopped bringing um, a uh, guitar tuned in standard about, oh, three years into the process, I think. I felt confident enough that I could play all the stuff that I... Uh That I was doing before I got the open d guitar, and then um I was writing everything from that point on in open d and you know it's- w- what I really love about it is to this day, I am still learning, and this is what like oh uh, i'm about mm, thirteen or fourteen years in, maybe maybe it's not that long. So somewhere between 10 and 13, 14 years. Um, I, every time I pick up that guitar uh, to play at home, I always learn something about uh, that tuning that I didn't know that day. So it's it's an ongoing process for me, and it um, it really was just like learning the guitar all over again, except for, you know, you start out with the dexterity and the knowledge of, you know, tone and how things are supposed to work. So you, you got a leg up in that regard, but, uh, yeah, I just, I really, I really love it. And I I experiment, uh, with that tuning on stage and I'm here to tell you, sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, uh, (laughs) sometimes I'll go, man, wouldn't this be cool if this were, or "Eh, that didn't work. I would have been cool had it worked, but you know, I'm, I'm always willing to take a chance on stuff like that. And, um, Yeah. It's, it's been a really, really fun process. I suggest everybody do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Turn your guitar somewhere. You have no idea what you're doing and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, exactly that. um, Well, your guitar playing is, is phenomenal. And, and, you know, you've got, you're getting praise from the likes of Dave Bromberg and, you know, all kinds of people in the scene for your picking, One thing I noticed about this new album, which uh, came out August 7th, I think. Um, Yeah, August 7th, as I'm checking my notes, Dockside Mm -hmm. Saints. One thing I noticed about this album is your guitar is typically, or your acoustic style is typically in the the forefront. Um, and, And on this record, I listened through to the first track and I said, man, that was rock and roll. (laughs) Um, and it was still in there but there was the production there was lots of other things too um it you know it had a cajun and zydeco feel to it how did this particular record because it sounds different from the rest how did this one uh first come about
1: i was doing a show in lafayette louisiana and um a friend of mine um came in um to see the show and I I think the next night he said, you know, I'm gonna invite Tony Daigle. He's a Grammy award-winning producer and he lives just a couple of blocks from where you're playing. And um, if he he would come out, that would just be great. And so the next night he did, he showed up and uh, he ended up staying for the whole show. And we spoke after the show and he said, you know, if you ever decide to make an album around here, I'm your guy. And it kinda started out like that and then um we uh we went out and took a tour of the dockside studio and that sealed the deal. But when we when we first saw that room, um and the board there and the property and um we, we were determined that we, we were destined to make an album at, at Dockside, um, which is in Maurice, Louisiana. And, um, so I think it took about a year to get it together. Um, Dave Nezat, uh, who used to play in bands around here, he lives in Lafayette, owns a business out there now, but he was, uh, Uh, very helpful in assisting us and finding um, players to uh, help put this album together. And um, the people that we ended up with are all uh, like really well-known, accomplished players from around that part of Louisiana and, uh, you know, regulars at the Jazz Fest and they're uh, uh, I didn't know it at the time you know I didn't know that I had that these guys had assembled an all-star cast and everybody that signed on um, to do the album uh, had heard very little of the pre-production right. um, uh, for, for whatever reason said yes and uh, that's how it all came together we we went out I think it was just a little over a year later Um we booked a week at the studio and um everybody showed up and we we played for a week and um it was a really fun process and uh through that we became good friends with all those players um cory the uh the accordion player I, I was already acquainted with but everybody else i met um at the studio and uh uh yeah tony did just did a fantastic job the guy's he's amazing to watch him um uh, behind the board and and um he produced the thing he uh he really encouraged some performance out of all performances out of all of us that um uh, the the album wouldn't be the same without him there and um and just something about that room that i think that room really inspires magic uh there's been a lot of great recordings uh, come out of that studio and um that somebody had actually told me that about that room before we got there and i didn't i didn't pay that no never mind but Mm. they were right it was just being there um being on the bayou and uh just uh uh, t- you know, s- something about that area just really is inspirational. So we're we're really proud of the album. Happy to have uh, had the
0: opportunity to to create with all those uh, fine players. Well, and with all those big time players in the room, and you know, your producer, like you said, Tony Daigle, uh with twenty Grammy nominees, and he's done stuff with john cleary and bb king and stuff was there any nerves going in there uh to work with to work with that group of folks
1: no because everybody uh yeah there there's no egos or anything you know from the moment that we got there and we were already pretty well acquainted with tony and and everybody else that played too there was (laughs) everybody was just really cool and um uh it, it, it was kind of like, uh, kind of, you know, you've done shows where you show up and you don't really know everybody in the band and you don't, it's like, a um, it's a, it's a great process to, uh, to have a musical introduction to everybody as well as, you know, get to know them on a personal level. And, um, the, I, I was aware of, uh, the success that Tony's had as a producer and as an engineer um, in the past, but he he just doesn't come off as that kind of guy. He's just like a, you know, he's a really great guy and really helpful and, uh, you know, the encouragement that I got from everybody uh, being kind of the new guy around uh, the studio was uh, really helpful and, and just, it made me feel really good about the whole process.
0: I'd like to go out and do it again, actually. Is, that, is there going to be a, whenever that's allowed, is there going to be a, a, a volume two? I think so.
1: Um, I, don't, I haven't written any songs for it, but, um, you know, right now I'm kind of really concentrating on Ghost Dog because um, everybody in this band, we all live uh, in the same town, so that's kind of helpful. Yeah. Um and uh with the with the time uh that everybody has right now uh to dedicate to a project um it makes sense for us to work on ghost dog and not go out and and uh, you know start another album in louisiana but but yeah i think that we'll do that at some point um i think with the the success of uh dockside saints um it would probably be a mistake not to do another one,
0: right? Right. And and you said you hadn't started writing any songs for it yet. How does that process for you? Do you have a project in mind and then start writing songs for that project, or do you have a daily time where you write? How does that come about for you?
1: It's it's a little bit of that. Um, the the way that it usually turns out is like I'll. Uh, from time to time, I'll come up with an idea and and jot it down and pair it up with some uh, maybe some guitar stuff that I have tucked away somewhere. Uh, but when it, when uh, studio time for a project starts to get closer, and I've I learn that I'm you know five songs short of a full album, then I will write for the album. But yeah. um, uh, uh, and I'm doing that right now. I'm I'm writing songs that don't really have uh, any um, any project in mind. Uh, they they'll end up being whatever they end up. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, the focus
0: right now is really Ghost Dog. And talk about Ghost Dog a little bit.
1: Well, Ghost Dog um, started out actually about two years ago and um i was I was on the road quite a bit, but um I would take the time there's this kind of uh, lag time uh during the year uh in the fall and the the late fall and early winter when we don't travel as much as we do the rest of the year and and then it kind of picks up again in january uh but um at one of those times i was uh i was visiting with a friend of mine uh here in town jason larson and we had talked about just getting together and playing you know we didn't really have a a band in mind we didn't have songs any songs in particular uh it was it was just kind of something to do you know during that slow time of the year and uh it started to get interesting and I started having ideas about uh, making an album and maybe having a band in Fort Collins because I, I haven't really played with a band in Fort Collins since I was playing with young ancients. Um, so we, we started doing that and then, um, uh, we, uh, the, the personnel started to get uh uh larger and and then it would shift you know we s- somebody would leave and somebody else would come in and um so we we ended up with uh, Jordan Pasquin who's been playing drums with Right-Minded for uh a while now and um uh Luke Hunter is playing bass with us, and, uh, S- Celeste is singing, and I'm, uh, I started just playing acoustic guitar with this band, and then, you know, with the pandemic, sitting around the house a lot, I, this one afternoon, I was thinking, well, you know, I used to play electric guitar for a living, it's not like I don't know how to do it, and, and, um, so I, I decided to get out on electric for one of our rehearsals. And um, I was at, you know, when we first got this band together and eventually gave it a name and um, we were actively s- starting to rehearse with live shows in mind, um, I was dead set against playing electric guitar, although I wasn't uh, against having somebody play electric guitar in the band, which now, um, AJ Fullerton does. Yeah. But, uh, at, at the time I just really wanted to just stick with the acoustic, but now, yeah, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm starting to get interested in electric again after all these years of not playing it. I don't think I've really, really played it, uh, on electric and geez, Oh, eight or nine years, I think. So I dusted off uh, my old PRS. I've, I I got my effects out and everything. You know, like, <laughs> uh, it's been a lot of fun. Looks so like anyway, you got
0: an electric behind you, maybe. That
1: uh, that yeah, that's another uh, that used to be my my slide guitar. It doesn't really get much airtime anymore with AJ and the band, but yeah. Um. Uh, so that's kind of how the uh, how uh, Ghost Dog came together and. Um, um, we get together and play uh, two times a week or so, uh, and it's it, it's kind of weird. I've I've never been in a situation where um, you have so much time to devote to rehearsals. Usually, we get like almost enough songs to go out and do a show, and then uh, then we go out and start doing shows, and that's where. The, the meaningful rehearsal really happens. Is a lot course. of times, you know, you stumble across really cool things on stage. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going about it in, in a way that I haven't done since I was uh, a kid and just really uh, rehearse songs. We removed our dining table in, in our uh, dining room and yeah. replaced it with a uh, drum kit. And, uh, our living room has become sort of a studio. Uh, we don't have anybody over at the house. We don't entertain. We don't use the dinner table. We right. thought, you know, let's just uh, let's just just make this comfortable for the band. And we got a um, we got an in air system. Um, we just actually went into the studio for the first time with with this band. Uh, we went over to the blasting room couple days ago and um uh recorded one song which is another thing I've never done. I've never done a one off before. Yeah. So um uh, yeah, I think that our uh our intentions with Ghost Dog is getting more serious by the day. And that's exciting, you know. It's 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 exciting to be um a part of a project where I think everybody has the, the same goal and um we're excited about the songs and excited about the future uh yeah when there, is, when there is a future again well
0: any band that can get you to take out your kitchen table i mean that's <laughs> you sound like the perfect house for a teenage punk rocker <laughs> it is yeah. it is
1: absolutely uh the when the kids come over uh, which you know our our children do drop by from time to time. Yeah. And um, they have to, like, navigate their way through the house because there's gear everywhere now. And it used to be um, totally the opposite. I think that we were really conscious of our living space. And, it, you know, coming off the road, we wanted our living space to be home and, and um, not... Uh, look like a studio or a club, but now it totally looks like that.
0: Well, (laughs) when you can't go anywhere. And and that's something I wanted to mention is you I remember last time we talked, you know, you guys you were saying you guys spent about nine months on the road a lot of years. Um you've got your converted um vehicle in the driveway. And so you you're not uh you're not doing other things to make money. You know, you are a full-time musician and that is that's what you guys do you really rely on the road um in a way that a lot of 2020 musicians uh, don't anymore how has this been navigating things the last nine months i mean you put out uh dockside saints and you and i i hear the tour is not going well you
1: know? <laughs> we uh how did we release that we uh well, it was uh, um, like a Facebook show, right? Yeah. Um, uh, we did. We've been doing shows at a sound studio that's about five blocks from our house here, um, called the Launching Pad, and so we invited. I think there were six, maybe seven people in the audience um, for the album release. Uh, which was like on this it was around the seventh it was around the time that the album was released, yeah um so yeah um we're we're trying to continue to do um a show or two a week um virtually um just in an effort to keep me playing guitar and uh try and stay relevant somehow i Um, I think that we could go out actually and do shows. We, we could go down to, um, Florida or Mississippi or Alabama or, you know, Texas and do shows. But, uh, we've just decided that we're gonna, we're just gonna stay here and just keep doing what we're doing and work on the band and, uh, you know, work on recordings and, um, uh, well, for the for the foreseeable future, I think that's what we're going
0: to do. And you really, yeah. you have stayed on the live streaming. I know it was a fad for a few months where everybody who's ever played a live show was doing a live stream. And you've stayed with it and, and you've been on a schedule and it looks professional, like you said. You go to the place uh, down the street to do it. And the cameras um, are not just waist up. So you've been putting trousers on for the last nine months. (laughs) You've been going to work, baby. They Uh, had to
1: talk me into that actually.
0: So have people continued to come to the online shows and contribute? And, um, I mean, what's that cycle been like from your first live stream, say to how it is now?
1: Well, uh, I'll get to that. I got to tell you that when we were, um, we were uh, on tour in march yeah and um the i think that i had a um uh i had a deal like a house deal with a museum in um key west uh florida and we were on our way there and we stopped for a couple of days at this campground and the, i think the the information on the pandemic was starting to get a little clearer. And, you know, there, were, there was more information on it. And we started to think and, and our conversation started to go towards, you know, maybe we should go home. And then one day we thought, you know, we're gonna call um, this uh, month-long residency that I had in Key West. And say, hey, we're we're not going to be able to make it. Um, our thought process was is that you know we're going to get down to Key West and then um, everything's going to get shut down because they have all these tour these uh, um, big boats coming in and you know it's such a vacation place. It just didn't seem like a good idea. And sure enough, on our drive home. Key West got shut down and they asked all non-residents to leave town. So we would have gotten booted anyway. So we're driving home and uh, I th- i think it took us maybe three days, sort of a leisurely drive uh, from Florida to, to Colorado. Yeah. And um, at some point I said, you know, maybe it wouldn't be cool if when we get home, you know, we could like set up a, an iPad and just maybe just do like a, a live show from the living room. Um, and, you know, maybe we could like collaborate with some of our friends down south or some, you know, some friends around Colorado and um, do shows together. And I think by the time that we got home, people were already doing it here. I thought I had like a really original idea.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and so now it's become uh, our our new reality. And uh, uh, we took some time off around the 4th of July. I think we took a couple of weeks off because we thought, you know, people were going to be busy camping and uh, holiday stuff going on. And that's the only break that we've taken. We, I have some friends that do shows every night. And um, we just, we do... S- certainly one a week and then every other wednesday we do an early show like a two o'clock show for all of our friends in europe and um in the beginning i think our numbers got up to i think you know 60 or so people now it seems to hover around 40 people and um I know that there are some guys out there that get you know thousands of people show up to their uh, their live stream things and um, going into it, we didn't know we didn't know what to expect. We, I, I didn't know I you know anybody in the world can tune in, so you know it, it made made perfect sense to me that that we would have audiences, but um, it is, it works the way that it works. However, you know, people have to know your name and know what you do, and know that you exist to to come see your show. So we keep, uh, we keep at it. And we, uh, I think our numbers are starting to go up now. Um, We're starting to get uh, people that stumble across us. We, we, uh, we stream on YouTube and on uh, my music facebook page and um maybe you know the just just keeping it uh keeping the show going and and it's the same time every week and um we try we've tried really to up the quality of the uh, image and the audio Um, we started out with um i don't know we had like uh at one point a uh an ipad duct tape to a um mic stand um in the process of trying to get things where it makes sense and get the devices that are meant for for this type of application and um and we continue to try and make it better and um uh I don't know how long I'm going to be doing this. Uh, we may ne- we may not stop doing it, you know, even if we're on the road, we may continue to do uh, live stream shows it's yeah. hard to It's hard to predict what the future holds, really. right. but um, I'm happy to do it. I actually enjoy doing it now. It was kind of weird in the beginning, but yeah I, I totally I totally dig it. I love it. Have you gotten used to
0: finishing a song and nobody clapping?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have. In fact, you know, some of my friends uh, went out and bought like really nice phones and, uh, you know, nice devices so their image and their audio looks really good. And then they can have the phone right in front of them and they can see what's going on. So there's, I've noticed this thing with live streams where, you know, you finish a song, da, 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 and then go,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I don't have a device in front of me. All uh, I have this camera, and um, I don't really have any idea what's going on um, as far as you know people commenting. Um, yeah, and I th- I think I'll probably leave it that way. Uh, well, do but
0: you check afterwards.
1: I do, I do. Uh, as soon as I get home, uh, I chime in, and you know everybody's gone by that point. But um, I do chime in and you know, try to thank people and see who, who commented. And then the people that don't comment, you don't know that they were there. Um, but we do have people coming back from Ireland and Scotland um, and Tokyo and, uh, you know, places around uh, South America and Canada and stuff that, that stumbled across us somehow. You know, yeah. they didn't know about me before this, but they do now and they keep coming back. So it's... Yeah. It's a a lot like you know a building um, a region, you know, in when we're touring. Yeah. And, uh, so I can see the similarities, and it's something that I've pursued uh, for a couple
0: of decades. We're just doing
1: it in a different way now.
0: Well, you may you might find some new places where you can go play a show all of a sudden. You know, we might see Carrie in Tokyo. Well, that yeah, who knows if you Who can knows? if you can do a 22 hour plane flight or whatever whatever it is to get over there i don't know.
1: That, that was actually my first um my first overseas uh tour that i ever did was in Japan. And um uh that was in the i think the early 90s. Mm. Uh, and we still have friends over there. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to go back. I'm happy to. I'd, I'd go anywhere, I, truthfully. We're we're happy to go play, pretty much anywhere in the world, if
0: people are willing to listen. Well, and you're in a you're in a really neat spot too. I know um, a lot of people I talk to. Um, you know, they can tour when they're really young, and then they have a family, and then they can't do that anymore. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and I I I think about that. I don't have a family yet but it, the idea haunts me because it'll happen eventually um, <laughs> you, you and you and Celeste both both of you have grown kids they're out of the house and there's nothing there's nothing tying you down and there's nothing keeping you from turning the uh, kitchen into a, a drum a drum kit
1: that's right there's there's nobody uh, that needs a ride anywhere yeah there there's no soccer um, practice yep that's that's all in the past um that the last tour that we did somehow we ended up down around dallas uh, for some shows and um my youngest daughter lives in houston so we actually went and visited her uh and her boyfriend uh in houston and i guess that's the difference you know that the she actually she she sent me a message yesterday and she said i love you dad and i can't wait for you guys to come visit yeah and I thought, wait a minute, you know, it's like, yeah, when are you coming home? Why why don't you come visit me? But she knows that I'm going to be out driving around at some point. Yeah. And it makes sense for me to stop by. So we can combine um, a a tour to to Dallas with a a trip to Houston to, to see my favorite child.
0: Yes. Right. Right. And I'll make <laughs> sure they all hear this. Yeah. And, and is that do you think that's attributed to your your success in some ways? I, you've been doing the music thing forever, but the success you're seeing right now, the last, um, you know, four or five records is as much as you've ever had. And it's continuing to grow. Um, do you, Are you in a place now where you can just totally focus on music and nothing else in, in a way that maybe you couldn't before?
1: uh yeah i would say that is is accurate um but you know you have to keep in mind that um like when i was touring with bands and our management and agent uh was in minneapolis and we i think that he had uh most of his connections in the midwest so we spent a lot of time between here in chicago and uh, uh st paul and maybe the Dakotas and stuff, um, a little bit down in Texas, but um, and now uh, everything's in-house and uh, Celeste is really good at, at putting things together. And she, um, I think, deserves all of the credit for uh, you know, what's happening with us tour-wise and, and musically. Uh, And here's the thing about that is, um, you know, back in the day when uh, Mid-America Talent in Minneapolis was booking the Atoll, it wasn't a really hard thing for him to sell Mm. um, a a four-piece band out of Colorado. Uh, A solo uh, acoustic uh, songwriter act, um, however, is not an easy thing to sell, and yeah. um, Celeste has figured out a way to do it, and she's figured out like all of the other things uh, that can help supplement um, that, and uh, she really encouraged um, the the recordings, and you know we were, we were making a a record a year. I know some guys do more than that; some guys do two, three records a year yeah especially now i see people you know just put out an album and they're just just getting ready to release another one so they got all this time on their hands um but yeah i i really i think that uh celeste deserves a credit for figuring out a way to book a solo guy and and uh one thing that she did was uh try not to limit uh our uh our region to just the u s yeah um, and try to get us more uh, in front of audiences or get me in front of audiences in europe and um in the u k and um, she actually uh, our our first tour in Europe that we did her and I um, she booked without an agent she had some oh. help from a couple of promoters uh, that were uh, regional promoters you know that booked you know a number of shows in in one region but she, she, it took her about a year to uh put together this tour and we went over and did it and it was a success and um and then based on the success of that one we went back and did more yeah uh, but it, you know it's not not easy to sell a, a solo guy you know with no rhythm section or anything to uh to venues and to theaters and stuff so i i'm i'm really proud of the hard work and the the, uh, success that she had uh, and first of all learning how to do that
0: and then pulling it off and and that episode is really one of my favorites back i believe it was episode 18 with celeste um because we started getting into marketing and promotion and things like that and just some of the things she brought up that I think most people don't think of. And I certainly don't think of, you know, like applying for grants and, um, you know, really honing in on your audience. And I thought uh, it was very insightful. So go back and check out that episode, folks, episode 18. Um, and then once you get through that, you don't have to do anything. It'll slide right into Carrie's first episode for some more background. Nice. <laughs> um, so going back to the record a little bit, um, Dockside Saints, you've gotten some really good press on this one. Um, Cowboys and Indians magazine for one, which can be picked up everywhere, even at, you know, a a Barnes and Noble, maybe you're not going to Barnes and Nobles right now, but, um, it's one of those magazines you can pick up anywhere. Glide magazine, um, wrote a great review, um, Tower Records put something out, I believe too, um, so talk about some of the press you've gotten for this.
1: Well, again, that was really, a lot of that was, uh, Carrie Baker at Conqueroo. Um, and, uh, especially now, you know, before the pandemic, um, uh, we really relied on, uh, physically getting in front of people in different regions, uh, in the U S and in Europe. And, uh, when when this album was finished, I think that we were in Nashville getting it mastered. Right about the time that everything fell apart, so the everything was done except for the artwork. Uh, by the time we canceled everything and came home, and then we thought, you know, what are we going to do now? We didn't it didn't seem like a good idea to release a, a CD in the the middle of a pandemic, and we didn't. You know, you got to remember back in May and June, we didn't really know this thing is, is it going to have an end? Is this our, you know, is this our new normal? Um, uh, We talked to um, Kerry and he said, release it because, you know, when this thing is over, everybody's going to have a new album and I don't think you want to be lost in the shuffle with whatever's going to happen, but that—that that was his prediction. Is that there's everybody sitting at home writing albums right now. So you got one ready. Let's get it out. So we did, and I'm—I'm I'm really glad that uh, he encouraged us to do that because I think it was the right thing to do. So now we have to figure out how to uh, promote an album without a tour, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know, uh, like I said earlier, we had um some other publicists and uh Celeste Talent, everybody got together and they just did everything that they could to get um this album in front of as many people uh as they could. I think I'd have to ask Celeste, she's in the other room working on something, but I think she sent out uh somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight hundred uh promotional copies wow so we kind of flooded the the market and sent it to you know uh, uh everywhere that uh everybody's combined um lists uh we could, we could muster. and yeah. um we did come up ag- uh, against one thing that we had not planned on that that I don't think anybody could have predicted um and the the radio list was massive the the number of radio stations that this album went out to on a for a self-produced uh CD it's kind of um absurd almost <laughs> the just the the sheer uh mass mailing that we did but we did not know that these um radio stations were being run remote remotely for the most part right and so I think that uh, the Dockside Saints album was in a lot of inboxes at radio stations that were not being opened. Wow. Um, and uh, we didn't find that out until, uh, w- well, we were well into the process. Right. So, kids, remember this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> The next pandemic,
0: the <laughs> DJs,
1: they're, they're not going to be checking their inboxes
0: at the radio station, so you got to find a way around that but um might have to call a landline again maybe things are turning back the other way yeah
1: or you know drones maybe
0: yeah (laughs) yeah right well Uh,
1: that that was just one of the the few issues that we um were faced with with uh, a pandemic release um celeste will probably have more stories for you than that but um you know like i said earlier the whole thing is a learning process and um, I've always considered the music business to be that anyway, right, and so uh they just pile this on top of everything else you know there's a wrong way to do things, which is usually the first thing that I do, right, and then there's the right way that eventually I get around to with with the help of celeste and
0: and um uh, the rest of our crew, uh, I think we did a pretty good job with this one i'll I'll say so and for anybody who's interested, I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to play at least a piece of a track at the end of the episode, um, and you know to to help help encourage people to buy the record. It's a great record. I actually I've streamed it on Spotify, and I just uh, bought my hard copy from your website this morning. So you can Good. Go, you can go to carrymoren.com, and you don't have to search for it. You scroll down about two inches, <laughs> and uh, you can click the buy now got real cool album art on it it's got your guitar on there painting of your guitar um so check it out people buy it this i guess won't be aired in time for you to get it shipped before christmas unless you choose the overnight shipping option but um you know everybody likes a new year's gift too
1: well sure or uh, just for no reason at all gift
0: A no reason at all gift right did we uh did we leave out anything
1: i don't think so um, if we do, um, you know, I'm available to do this pretty much anytime every day. You can,
0: you can be the first three-parter. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, well, I'm down with the, uh, trilogy, the trilogy, the Carrie Morin <laughs> trilogy. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. And it's great uh, catching up again, as always.
1: Hey, it was really fun to bump into you and your dad at Telluride and, um, Oh, yeah, uh, I, th- I think that's the last time I, s- I saw you uh, in person. But uh, I look forward to uh, a time when we can, you know, go see each other's shows and, and bump into you
0: uh, out in public again someday. Absolutely. And I should mention really quick that in Telluride, you had just finished winning uh, the acoustic, what is it called? The They have uh, a competition. The challenge. The acoustic blues challenge. And you yeah. took. First place, so not only did we get to bump into you and Celeste, you know, ordering funnel cakes or whatever, we also got to watch <laughs> you play a set. So, congrats on congrats on the victory there. Thank you very much. There it is, folks. My conversation with the one and only Carrie Moran. Great success with his new record, and I wish him all the success in 2021 and with uh, with you know promoting the record, continuing to promote the record, and. Whatever he does next, it's going to be great. By the way, when I was introducing Carrie at the beginning of the episode, we were listening to Bear Trees in the background, which is off of Dockside Saints. And to end this episode, we're going to listen to another song off of Dockside Saints called Nobody Gotta Know. It's one of my favorite tracks off the album. If you enjoyed the episode, once again, it's completely free to rate and write a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It only takes a second, and it really does help me out a lot. If you're in a position to help out in a monetary way, I'm now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W, and that's where I post up exclusive content for both my career and the podcast And uh, it it helps ensure that this podcast can keep going and keep growing. And I appreciate it very much. You can do that for as little as $3 per month. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail or death threats, you can direct them to me at middleclassrockstar at com. Here's Nobody Gotta Know. Thanks so much for listening.